0: On Second Shot, we cover two new stories every week to find out what kind of wisdom the world is dishing out today. And at the heart of every one of these stories are people just like you and me who've had to overcome incredible odds to face the greatest challenges, to struggle and fight back. But now we're changing it up. In these episodes, we're skipping the headlines, and going straight to the people that inspire us to grow, to be bold, seek change, and act courageously when the rest of the world may not. A second look, a second chance, a second shot. This is Second Shot Sit Downs, with your host, Jenny Onchando.
1: Have you guys ever heard of The Rapping Dad. This is another second-shot sit-down, and it's a little bit different than ones we've done in the past. And I think it's going to be fun for you to listen to, maybe for your family to listen to. You'll have to maybe see see how it goes for that one. But we are talking to Derek Clark, who is a motivational speaker. He's known as the Rapping Dad, and I'm going to tell you, you know, he's the author of many, many books, and I'll give you a couple of the titles. One of them is Never Limit Your Life another one never limit the potential of a child he has a book series and he speaks really all over the country and has been prominent in media all over the country and all over the world as well including cnn he's been on steve harvey ricky lake and now he is here with us on second shot hey Derek, good to see you What's up?
0: hey jenny it's great to hear be here and rock the mic and check it out we got something to share with you oh all my right.
1: gosh yes you do you guys are going to find this to be funny i mean people who listen to second a shot know that i am from idaho which in in of itself it makes me very rare and unique because there are so few of us right there's only there's i think there's still only maybe a couple million people in the whole state and right. you are coming to us from eagle really idaho yeah. eagle idaho and you're from upper north so this is awesome <laughs> so let's let's get into it so i know that a lot of people uh listening or watching will have already heard of the rapping dad and seen your videos and things like that but how How did you become the quote unquote rapping dad?
0: You know, I was in the car with my kids having this amazing time. You know, we usually call it car talk or car bars or something like that. And I'm just rapping in the car with my two young sons on the way to tennis uh, clinic. And we were down this old country road and I just started rapping and my son caught it on camera. And we put it on YouTube, and it was like amazing. I got like a thousand views. I'm like, oh my gosh, we're famous! And we're just <laughs> joking around. And then it went ten thousand. And then it sat for like almost six months at like ten thousand views. And then it went crazy. World Star Hip Hop and all these other, you know, uh, Instagram and Facebook pages started sharing it. And then Shaquille O'Neal. Tweeted check out this MC Soccer Dad called me MC Soccer Dad and then it went to Steve Harvey's producers and then Steve Harvey and them contacted me and Steve Harvey's the one who named me Rappin' Dad.
1: Oh my gosh! And so it stuck. So so some people yep. will be seeing this on TV. Some people will be hearing it on podcasts. So for people who are just hearing you, describe what you look like.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm this tall, big white boy, Caucasian guy, six foot five. I. Uh, Got a big head here, big forehead, <laughs>
1: <laughs> and so I can spit the rhymes. <laughs> so it's like not your not your typical rapper. Um, oh. Dare I ask you to rap for us right now and put? <laughs> can see. I put you on the spot?
0: Okay, you know what? I'll do the rap that went viral with 250 million views. It's crazy. Okay. This one particular rap, and it goes. Got to keep the lyrics clean, if you know what I mean. Know my Nicki Minaj and her twerking machine. No my naked fashion from Kim Kardashian. You a mom. Do you need an intervention? And Miley, no more wrecking ball. Put on some clothes. Where's Hannah, y'all? Because my little daughter loved Hannah Montana reruns. And then they're like, who's naked Miley, right? Got to turn off Kanye. Eminem, Jay-Z, no more cuss words and negativity. Because a lot of rappers talk about drug sex killing. But when they going to use their words to start healing, in fact, the mind of our young kids When I think about the little boy who didn't know Jesus But new Lil Wayne, new T-Pain New 2 chains 50, LeBron James This is insane In the membrane, cause I'm ripping up Thinking I'm making, taking back the rap game Everybody's got a little battle to battle I'm the rapping dad, gotta get you back in the saddle Ripping up, thinking I'm making a i I'm gonna kick in the kind of famous Here I am now, making out my own language You talk Illuminati, talking about your Maserati Or your hottie, hottie, hottie In the back of your Bugatti, man What's the real rap? Not bubblegum pop I'm from the old school of conscious
1: hip hop. <laughs> yes, <laughs> so good. Thank you. Oh my gosh! Well, it was it was good, Derek, and it was all you know. Uh, man, also makes you think, right? It really makes you think. Uh, the the words that you are putting out right. there, and, and I wonder a wanted... lot
0: of celebrities shared that. You know, a lot of celebrities from T-Pain, Waka Flocka Flame, like all these big rappers and all these celebrities ch- shared it. But I was just like trying to get back to the base of humanity in a way, like healing, and Ooh. some spiritualness. Right? Yeah, so.
1: let's let's talk about that that healing. um You are somebody. Once I heard about your story, I started thinking this is just one of those examples of tough, brutal childhood, and. A good adulthood, right? Somebody who made a conscious decision to not continue on uh, what what could have been a really, really hard life journey. So talk about your childhood and being in the foster care system and, and what your upbringing was like.
0: Yeah, so it's amazing that I'm standing here today because you get to see the end of the movie by me standing here because where I'm from, I live in Idaho now, but I I grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area foster care system. And do you know in California, 72% of the male prison inmates in California have been in foster care. Do you know in your state, Texas, 80% of the Texas death row inmates have been in foster care. So right now, uh, statistics show that I should be incarcerated, an addict, homeless or dead. Hmm. And it's I am who I am today because somebody took me in their home and loved this little kid. Now, I never got adopted. I went through the foster care for 13 years, the system for 13 years, and I survived brutal child abuse, rejection, abandoned at five years old at a psychiatric psychiatric facility, and then sent to a shelter for unadoptable kids.
1: Derek, but let's, I, I can't let you go. I can't let you keep going without giving some oh, more okay. detail on that. Um, that's, I mean, you, you've got to pause on each and every yeah. one of those things are so <laughs> life changing. No, 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 don't apologize. Also your um, your mic, I think is hitting a little bit on your, uh, on your button at the top oh yes it's that little part that's at the top yep there you go I know that's gonna be like weird to hold but but I want to keep keep with me here on this conversation so you end up how did you end up in the foster care system to begin with
0: so my mother unfortunately she had gone through a lot sexually abused and such like that and had a kid and unfortunately my dad was very angry this man who had forced himself on her and was very angry that she didn't get an abortion, Mm. so at seven months pregnant, my mom was waitressing at a restaurant in San Diego, California, doing her job, and my six-foot-five dad comes into that restaurant in a fit of rage, and at seven months pregnant, you got a nice bump there, and I'm enjoying myself swimming in the amniotic fluid of the warmth of my mother's womb, and my dad slams her to the floor, whiplashes her, and continues to stomp on her stomach over and over again to abort me, Uh. but I lived. See, God has a way of taking broken pieces and turning them into masterpieces. You know what I'm saying? I lived. There was a purpose, and that I had to find that purpose in life to turn that pain into purpose, pain into progress, into purpose.
1: So, so, so Derek, it's, go and pull that pull that out. I want to really hear your words. Yeah, yeah. It just keeps hitting on your shirt for some reason, um, oh, it and does. I want to be able to hear oh. hear clearly. So, okay. does that do anything for your? I know this isn't the topic of this interview, but I, I have to ask, um, your views on human, human life um, before birth?
0: Yeah, I'm all about sticking up for the kid. Yeah. I am all about life.
1: <laughs> yeah, I can. Yeah, I, I can but, understand uh, given I mean, what you went through. Can
0: you imagine if uh, the ab- if the abortion had went through, I would not be here mm-hmm. and helping millions of people throughout this world. Mm-hmm. No, I am. I'm for the kids' voice. I'm. I'm a voice for the kids.
1: And, and and when I hear you say that, I also, you know, hear that it wasn't like you were just born and everything was fine. So you end up. Your your mom had uh, clearly had a, a very tough you know, pre pregnancy, tough pregnancy, tough life after you end up in the foster care system and explain what that is like.
0: Well, I was in a shelter for unadoptable kids where you just wait for a foster home to take a high level kid like me after I was at the psychiatric facility where I was labeled all these big labels. And who uh, sends
1: you there? How did you end up there at age five?
0: My mom and stepdad abandoned me. Okay. And so they would they kept my brother and sister but got rid of me so it's crazy my mom had three kids from three different men okay. and so at the shelter you just wait you just wait and hopefully a foster parent will take you uh, but they take high well generally they take little kids but i was a high level little kid with a lot of behavioral issues and not a lot of people wanted me and so i had this the social worker that would work with me and try to find a home. And it's written, if, if an adequate foster home cannot be found for Derek, this is at six years old now. Okay. If an, I have it memorized. If an adequate foster home cannot be found for Derek, he will be sent to the psychiatric institution where I would stay. Which, so this
1: says something about the people who are looking to adopt, not about you.
0: Yeah, well. Just by adoptable. the rejection,
1: you ended up with that label.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, not only by the rejection, I was unadoptable because of my severe behavioral and emotional problems. Okay. And so they thought I was not adoptable, but I'm here to tell you every kid is adoptable. Every kid deserves a family. Every kid deserves love. Every kid deserves someone in their corner. I mean, the greatest investment you should ever have, ever have is your children, right? The only ter- time you turn your back on a kid is for them to hop on for a horsey ride, a piggyback ride. Yeah. You never give up on a kid, I hear but you. they were giving up on me.
1: So you worked through that system, and then did you end up getting foster families or being with families for any short periods of time?
0: Yeah, I went through a series of foster homes, and then this foster home on a ranch took me in, and they kept me long-term. And I'm who I am today because of them, but I'm here to tell you that permanency works. People that will never give up on you. That's the key.
1: And what did that look like for you? Uh, that, that permanency, which it seems like even as a young child, we we know we know enough now here in twenty twenty one to know how critical that is for kids in those early so, years.
0: Yeah, those first five six years of your life are the most formidable. You know, I didn't grow up on love, Jenny. I grew up on survival. I didn't grow up with affection. I didn't grow up with like someone reading me Doctor Seuss, Goodnight Gorilla, Go Dog Go, whatever Berenstein Bears. I grew up on survival, what they call ACEs, Adverse Childhood Experiences, where I grew up in a very dark and toxic, stressful environment, very chaotic.
1: And is that, so. that's because you were in these shelters or were you with foster parents that were not good, not, not fair, you know, decent well, people?
0: Yeah, there's great, there's great in everything, right? There's yeah. great foster parents and then there's foster parents that still need training, I call it. <laughs> And so, uh, but the chaos of the first five years of my life, growing up homeless, growing up brutally abused, um, you know, there were times where we had to live in a park or we lived in a one car garage or, you know, my mom kept running. Mm -hmm. And so we never had any stability. And that's at some point, she finally found a man that had a, a home and we moved in. But then he did lots of brutal abuse to me. The drowning me in the toilet, ripping my arm from my shoulder, just like all this bad stuff that I had to go through. Burning, lots of burns. So I'm curious. Unfortunately, it catches up with you. And I had, and a lot of us that were in the system, Jenny, just real quick, yeah, a lot yeah. of us in the system have PTSD, but we're labeled all of these things. But in reality, our base problem is we have ptsd from the physical abuse to sexual abuse the emotional abuse right and then that carries on those first five six seven eight years of your life can literally
1: Mm.
0: oh they can they can uh put make your adulthood hell yeah don't change your life
1: right right that's why i kind of referenced at the beginning when i when i heard about your story it just struck me so hard thinking about this Hard childhood, but good adulthood, which is a transition that a lot of people struggle to make. Um, that abuse was that happen? That was happening before you were in the foster care system, or, or it continued once you were in that system?
0: No, it was before the foster care okay. system. Okay,
1: and yeah. so yeah, so it was in those critical years, the years where you need the love and the affection. Um, some of the things that you mentioned. Gosh, I'm getting off on controversial things, but I just feel like no you're open to talking. Um, <laughs> Some of those things you mentioned some parents would say um, that is discipline um, how do you you characterize this as abuse
0: yeah so yeah. when your mom is so mad at you she takes your left hand and holds it under hot water for a long time till it burns the whole all the skin off your hand till uh, you know they try to drown you in a toilet by pumping your head pushing your head I'm sorry down in the toilet till you're basically out um mm. those are very abusive moments mm. i have you know i have scars all over me from brutal child abuse uh, so uh abusing a kid is wrong
1: yeah yeah i i i i know for for some people that will seem like a very peculiar question but um i've i've noticed right now this is a still a kind of a gray area and it's um it's disturbing so i think it's important to call out what you know what is abuse in that um in that realm so you go through the system this family and the farm that took you in i want to go back to this family it, did they end up being your long-term family did you ever get a long-term family
0: yeah they ended up being my long-term family and their grandma and grandpa to my kids ah. so they live on a ranch and it's awesome you know to go there i live on a ranch now so you know uh they were great examples for me they taught me hard work they didn't take nothing. <laughs> you know, I had a lot of behavioral issues, especially as a crazy teenager out of control.
1: Yeah, how do you think that they were r- able to manage when others weren't?
0: Well, let me tell you. Just because you get a loving home and the foster care doesn't, system doesn't mean all of a sudden you just magically turn wonderful kid. You got all of these behavioral issues, and it's, it's tough to change your behavior because that's how you survive. That's your reactionary, right? That's how you react. It's your reactionary um, habit. And so, uh, you know, I had this amazing foster home, but I still had a lot of behavioral issues, and so what trauma does to you, it stunts your mind sometimes. It it actually just breaks your mind for a little bit, and then you have to put it back together. But when I'm 16 years old, emotionally, I might be 10 or 12 years old because mm-hmm. of the trauma holding you back when you were a kid because you don't know how to deal with cer- certain situations. You were never taught.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So they took you in and they dealt with they dealt with all that Derek was and all yeah. he was going to be. So the, the the good, the bad, and the tough, I guess. Right. Um, and, and what do you think it was about this family that allowed them to um, to stay consistent and be, it sounds like, the first real consistent love that you'd ever had?
0: So the, I'll, I'll be straight up with you. They believed that I was a gift from God. And they believed uh, my mom had a vision, my foster mom had a vision, and she said that I could never give up on you because I believe God brought you to me. Even though I was crazy, had all these these issues, they never gave up on me because they had this spiritual connection and this belief system that we cannot give up on this kid. There's some reason why we have this kid. Mm. I don't have the faith that they have.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That is so great
0: faith. faith. They have a lot of faith, right? So.
1: So let's let's talk about what happened between then and now. I mean, was it, so was it grit and determination? Like, I'm gonna somehow become a better person? Or were we talking about therapy? What types of, of treatments did you come to, especially, man, when people get labels, like that is just, it's so hard. Even if nothing is true about the label, it's so hard to overcome that so how did you transition out to you know go on to have healthy relationships
0: well it was tough my teenage years were setting up my adult years my sister had been shot and killed when i was 16. my brother had been killed and my good friend had been shot and killed all when i was 16 to 17 years old and i was so angry angry at god angry at the world angry why was i alive and then I got expelled out of high school mm-hmm. <laughs> for anger, violence, all that stuff. And I went through a three-day course. I first ran away, you know, and couch there for a while. And then I came back home and they told me, you can stay at this home if you will go to counseling, the special counseling. Now, as a kid in foster care, I went through psychiatric counseling twice a week from ages six to almost 13 years old where I would get taken out of school, go to the county building, meet with the psychiatrist. So I had already gone through a lot of counseling from six to 13, uh-huh. right? But then there was that break period. I became a teenager, the hormones are coming, and then people are dying all around me. Mm. I'm angry, I run away, I come back. They say, we're gonna put you in this three-day course how to understand your rage and your anger. I went to that three-day course and it changed my life. You know why? No. Because I felt I wasn't alone. Uh, there was this room of all these other at-risk kids, but really they're full of potential kids, right? So they were there with their parents and it was counseling in front of other people. It wasn't counseling in front of, uh, or in a, a room by them by ourselves. So all these teenagers, we got to have counseling in front of each other, and we realized we're not alone, and then we learned to uh, the art of forgiveness and the uh, be- taking responsibility for the direction of your life, and not how you respond to a situation will determine your success in life, and I learned at that point to not let my past infect my future, to not let my parents' mistakes define me or confine me, but let them refine me, to not let my weakness destroy my greatness, to take responsibility responsibility for the direction of my life to not let my inner me become the enemy
1: mm-hmm. you see yeah I do I do I and was so,
0: sabotaging uh, myself a lot
1: three that's a three-day course I mean I, I that oh my gosh because it, it seems like I think a lot of people will um, lose hope or they think you know this is just sort of like my lot in life to be this bad person or this person with issues or whatever the case may be so so you found out you weren't alone you move forward from there. I mean, how, how, and then, and then how do you get from there, this three day course to being a dad and being a good father and not, you know, and not following being an abusive parent because we just, we just see that happen.
0: Yeah, the pattern does happen, but let me tell you, this is your life, zero to hundred. OK, are you going to let this part of your life, zero to 18, control the next 80, 90 years of your life? And so I learned right then that what's happened to me with all the scars and abuse was not nearly as what's happened inside of me. And that's why I decided I wasn't going to let the enemy be the enemy, that that was it. I was going to break cycles. I was going to start to pass on generational blessings, not generational curses. And when I got married and I had these kids, I was scared, Jenny. I was totally scared because here's the facts. I married my wife at 23. I had told her I didn't want kids. She said, "Okay, I don't want kids because I didn't want to bring up kids in this evil world. Seven years later, we decide we want kids. (laughs) So I was
1: like, and then the first. I'm glad you you... both felt the same way after both agreeing not to.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Right so yeah totally I didn't spring it on her like right after we were married or something but the thing was that the first kid was scary because I didn't know what kind of dad I was going to be and that's when I met my biological mom 25 years later after she abandoned me keep in mind I haven't heard her voice how did that in happen 25 years Oh,
1: pull pull your uh, headphones out a little bit it's cracking again. Okay. and then tell me and then tell me how how did that happen that you got reconnected with your mom
0: So I was scared of what kind of person I was going to become, uh, you know, as a dad. And I reached out to my mom. She hadn't reached out to me, but I'm 30 years old. I finally find her, and I go to New Mexico and visit her. And she didn't really take responsibility. She said I was the devil. She said I was just a hard kid. She She couldn't handle me. And so I went back home to a, a tough spot and I, I just decided that I needed to start working on my life again. See, life has a way of pulling you down throughout your years. I mean, you got the 20s, the 30s, the 40s, the 50s, right? And so the 30s brought me down. Now, keep in mind, I owned a multi-million dollar company. I had an ego. I was doing well, but inside I was dying spiritually, mentally. And I started to Feel to heal. That's the key. Take off, once I met my mom, I took off the last piece of armor on my heart. You know what that armor represented? What? Unforgiveness, resentment. Okay.
1: So you just forgave her and you just figured. I started
0: yeah. Well, forgiveness is hard. It's not just like, oh, I forgave her. No, I got all these years, these things, right? And here's the truth. When I met her, I had a checklist of all these questions I was gonna ask. Why you do this? Why do you never give up? Why do you never give up? Uh, why'd you never come back for me? Stuff like that. And guess what? The why's never get answered to the way you want them to be answered, <laughs> Isn't
1: that Ever. the truth?
0: Uh-uh. <laughs> And why equals why me, right? So that's victim mentality. So I decided at that point at 31 years old to divorce my story from victim to victor. And changing my vocabulary helped me a lot. Instead of why me, it became what now? and that puts you in the moment the power of now instead of why me takes you in the past and so i just wanted to like start fresh i went to counseling again i realized that i had ptsd i went to a pts counselor uh called emdr this counseling i've I've done it yes i'm familiar it's
1: super weird you guys look it up you don't think we're weird but it's good
0: but it's awesome. I didn't do hot water for years because of the hot water and the water was always scary to yeah. me as a kid, but I did EMDR a few sessions. Now I love hot showers. I love awesome. getting in the hot tub. I'll even help the wife out with uh, doing the dishes and stuff, right? So- As you but, should. Yeah, no, I know, but that hot water was <laughs> I always- a, That was a trigger. Yeah. Every one of us has triggers. We call them, I call them original wounds that okay. shape your life. And so I had to, I had divorced my story And once I divorced my story from victim to victor, then it was like Rocky Balboa. (laughs) And I started getting up. I just kept rising and rising. And then you build your resilience muscle, your tenacity muscle, your courage muscle, your integrity muscle, your patience muscle, your determination muscle. And then my life really transformed. Now, at 31 years old, I was successful by the world standards. I had lots of money. Yeah. What
1: What were you doing? What I'm curious, what you were doing career-wise at that time?
0: So yeah, I owned a big mortgage company and a real estate company, and so I did very well for years in the Bay, you know, San Francisco Bay, Uh right outside. Uh, And I did well to the world standards, but I learned that success was not financial i had already had the money i knew how to blow money too but success to me is now significance what am i passing on that's and the so key.
1: is that when you had a career change or or you know talk about that transition so you looked for significance <laughs> and thought okay mortgage company you know it, it could be argued that that was bringing um you know who knows it's a you yeah. know it's in the eye of the beholder be right that you're putting
0: people more in debt or whatever right it yeah. could be argued but I started volunteering more, I started donating more through the mortgage company. But how I became a speaker, motivational speaker, was they say you have these pillars, these, these times where they call them pillars of growth. Well, 2008 came, Jenny. And what happened in 2008? The world- Your brand.
1: industry crashed.
0: My industry crashed, yes. the greatest recession, right? I lost my businesses. Mm-hmm. I almost lost my home. A lot of people lost a lot of yeah. stuff. And it was during that time, for about a year to two, till about 2010, I'm figuring out what am I going to do with my life. And then I decided to write a book called I Will Never Give Up, about my life of overcoming great adversity. And then that opened up the door for people to say, will you, become a, will you speak about your story? Will you share your story? And I'm like, yeah, we'll, we'll pay you. What? oh, my gosh, in this recession, I'm going to get money? What? You know, and I'm like so excited. And all of a sudden, I, I rose up like I always do through the adversity period. Yeah. And I rose up through that recession. And people say, oh, Derek, you, invent, you reinvented yourself. The truth is, is I just became myself, my authentic self. This kid who was in foster care that could share compassion and empathy with others
1: interesting yeah so it's not so much as yeah i mean i did the same thing i branded you as a second shot you know he's went through this but but with your mindset shift and a different perspective you're saying no i just figured out who the heck derek was and lived into that um before we go really quickly i want to talk about this parenting thing I, i don't think that um i think there are many parents who have fears about will i treat my child the same way i was treated will i what what will i be like so how do you deal with that like in a practical sense you know your boys do something i don't know they color on the wall they run away they oh, yeah. do something silly obnoxious they get a bad great what what is your initial reaction and what is your actual reaction you know in a in a practical way as a parent
0: yeah so uh, the key is connection versus correction alliance versus compliance uh so i try to connect sometimes the lion roars no doubt yeah. about that sometimes the lion roars but I want to try to get to the root of the behavior. What is the behavior saying? What? Why are we doing this? And you also have to work on your patience muscle. And a lot of people don't have their patience muscle. They go to the gym for an hour and work on their glutes and their biceps and their triceps. But how many of us spend 15 minutes a day working on our inner muscles, our patience muscle, our determination muscle, our courage muscle? I went through those earlier. But that's what I worked on, was that patience muscle. And realizing that I did not want to become like my parents that I wanted to pass on generational blessings and not curses. So what I do to my kids, I set up my grandkids for eventually, one day when I have grandkids. So I was always thinking forward.
1: And how do you set up the patient's muscle? Does that look like meditation? Does it look like prayer? Does it, What does that look like?
0: It's called not reacting. Choose your responses. How you respond to a situation will determine your environment, your success in life, everything. So it's like, Take a few seconds, take a few minutes, walk away, do yourself a timeout before you lash out. Do yourself a timeout where you're like, I know this is gonna set me off, I'm gonna go right now and I will talk to you. You don't have to respond immediately, mm. you don't. As a parent, you can be like, you know what, we're gonna have a discussion a little bit later, especially dealing with like eight year olds, to you know, teenagers and stuff. Sure. You don't have to respond immediately to a situation. You can always come back and learn. have a learning a discussion of learning
1: Derek Clark I have so enjoyed our conversation I mean, I have even I wish we could talk for another hour and a half here I have so many questions about foster care and, and your experience but but thank you no doubt you have motivated and inspired people today so thank you so much for taking the time to be with us
0: you're welcome we got to close on a rap and dad rap some motivation Please we can't do. leave it like this so you can always find me at rapping dad on social media R A P P I N G D A D hire me as a motivational speaker but here it goes So here's a few lessons that I've learned I've turned a mess into a message and earned a return I've turned scars into stars live like avatars no one can stop you if you believe in your heart and this is your life on and it. Never let the past infect your future for a moment. Never let a weakness destroy your greatness. It's time to profess you're too blessed to be stressed. Bam, you could be everything you wanna be, but never let the enemy mm, be your enemy. It's time to be better and not bitter. It's a choice to be a winner, and it's a choice to be a quitter. So if you've been knocked down or thought about suicide, get out of the shadows and hold your head high because this is your time and this is your sign. Get up and climb, you were born for this moment to shine. Thank you, Jenny, for having me out.
1: (laughs) Thanks, Derek. That was, oh my gosh, that was so much fun. You guys' website is IWillNeverGiveUp.com. You can find him on social media, on IG at rapping underscore dad, on Facebook at rapping dad. And you know you can see uh, our Second Shot segments every Thursday on CW33, 10 to 11 a.m. If you're local in Dallas, they're also on the website. We would love to hear from you. If you have um, somebody who has had a powerful second shot you think should be highlighted, you can email us at secondshotcast at gmail.com. And don't forget to leave a rating or review and we will chat with you next time. Bye bye.